pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Good to be in the house of God today. Yes. Amen. Might be raining on the outside, but the sun is shining on the inside. Amen. Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. Celebrating pastor appreciation this weekend. Amen. We appreciate our pastors. We're thankful for, the, for our shepherds, the ones that God has placed over us to lead us, to guide us, to, to direct our paths, to explain to us just what we need to do to make it into the kingdom of God. Amen? Hallelujah. To be effective servants in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. I'm reading in the New International Version. Said the... The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on the one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Hallelujah. So I'm thankful today, Lord, uh, for the word of God. You know, a lot of times we try and figure out, you know, why the battle's not going our way. And we're talking about pastor appreciation today. So um, the title of my sermon this morning is Tired Hands. And, you know, Moses, whenever he told them, he said, you know, you go and you pick out men to take into the battle to fight with the sword with the Amalekites, and tomorrow I'm going to stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And like the Word said, as long as Moses' hands were held up and he held that rod up, Joshua and his army were winning, but if his arms came down, the Amalekites began to win the battle. So, pastor appreciation is very much in order today. Uh, God's Word calls on us to support the ministry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 says this, And now, friends, we ask you to honor those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. That's the message version. I like that. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. I want to share some things with you. I've got, I've got some, 
I've got a, um, a little writing that I want to share. I've got some statistics that I want to share today as we, before we get into the Word. And, and this little writing is called The Pastor's Plight. The pastor of a church is in a precarious position. He can't please anyone, it's been said. If he's young, he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has several children, he has too many. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he preaches from his notes, he has canned sermons and is too dry. If he doesn't use notes, he's not studying and not deep. If he's attentive to the poor people in the church, they claim he's playing to the grandstands. If he pays attention to the wealthy, he's trying to be an aristocrat. If he suggests changes for improvement of the church, he's a dictator. If he makes no suggestions, he's a figurehead. If he uses too many illustrations, he neglects the Bible. If he doesn't use enough illustrations, he isn't clear. If he condemns wrong, he's cranky. If he doesn't preach against sin, he's a compromiser. If he fails to please somebody, he's hurting the church and he ought to leave. If he tries to please everyone, he's a fool. If he preaches about money, he's a money grabber. If he doesn't preach spiritual giving, he's failing to develop the people. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. If he drives a new car, he sets his affection on earthly things. If he preaches all the time, the people get tired of hearing one man. If he invites guest speakers, then he's shirking his responsibility. If he receives a large salary, he's a mercenary. If he receives only a small salary, well, it just proves he wasn't worth much anyway. The pastor's plight. It's a no-win situation a lot of times. But we want to enjoy ourselves today, man. We want to celebrate our pastor. We have great pastors here at Faith Fellowship Church. You know, there's some bad statistics that get floated around a lot. I want to read part of an article from a man named Mark Dance. This was in an issue of Lifeway Pastors from 2019, July 10th. Epidemic. Another pastor burned out and quit last Sunday. Unfortunately, that pastor wasn't the only one to have such a story last Sunday. Hundreds did. This year, thousands will leave the ministry, burned out and hurting. Too many pastors are burning out. More than 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. The staggering number includes some of the brightest, most inspiring pastors in the country. You know, we've all heard it, and like I said, this is an article says, we've all heard it and perhaps shared these staggering, scary stats about pastors who leave the ministry every month. The truth is sometimes worse than myth. Unfortunately, this is not the case. The prevailing myth, 1,500 to 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. The actual number is about 250. That's still too many. In September of 2015, the results of a LifeWay research survey of 1,500 pastors 
of evangelical and historically black churches found only 1% of pastors abandon the pulpit each year. But pastors aren't quitters. And this is this gentleman's article still. I was 16 years old when I surrendered to the ministry. Soon after I shared that call with my church, my pastor told me only about one in 10 people who start in the ministry finish in the ministry. I've heard that statistic several times since then. If that's true, how does it sync with the study? First of all, many who say yes to the ministry never actually start. As I look back to those I've known who publicly shared their call to the ministry, many of them changed their mind along the way in high school, college, seminary. Career confusion is normal for students as well as adults. Current pastors say a change in calling is the top reason their predecessors left the pastorate. We all know pastors who aren't a good fit for the role. For those who do eventually step onto the front lines of ministry, most don't quit, which is awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11 says this, Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Ministry is tough, but so are ministers. It says, I talk to pastors every day and can attest to the fact that they have one of the hardest jobs on the planet. What this survey says to me is that pastors aren't quitters or whims. 84% say they're on call 24 hours a day. 80% of pastors expect conflict in the church. A lot of times you're going to have conflict because people are people. 54% find the role of pastor overwhelming. The article says, we love pastors and it's a great privilege for me to serve this tough tribe on behalf of Lifeway. Our desire is to encourage and equip these brave servants of the church. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, but as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in well-doing. His third point is ministers need encouragement. The results of the survey remind us of those who are still serving on the front lines of ministry and need encouragers to root them on. The race isn't over yet. 53% are often concerned about their family's financial security. 48% often feel the demands of ministry are more than they can handle. 21% say their church has unrealistic expectations of them. So the article says, if you're a pastor, encourage your comrades in season and out of season, 2 Timothy 4.2. Every pastor needs a pastor in their life and ministry, so who can be a Barnabas to you? If you're a lay leader in the church, treat your pastors like friends or family members because they're both. Provide a listening ear and a safe place for your pastors to share their dreams as well as their nightmares. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. At the end of the day, most ministers consider it a great privilege to serve the Lord and His beautiful bride. We understand the price of pastoring. are more than willing to pay it. 1 Timothy 
1.12 says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. And that article was written by Mark Dance. He's a former director of Lifeway Pastors, speaks at churches, conferences, retreats with his wife Janet a lot of times. And he's contributed to several books and offers weekly encouragement at markdance.net. Have to cite my sources. The Alban Institute estimates that 17% of pastors are experiencing burnout. A study of one major denomination concluded that less than one-third of its pastors were happy in the work. Another 30% were deeply conflicted about ministry, and 40% described themselves as heading for burnout. You know, even though the pressures pastors face are great, the resources that God provides are too. One of the greatest resources that God provides is his people. So I want to encourage you as a congregation today to encourage your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Now let's look at our example that we read about uh, uh, a little while ago. It, it, was, it was a time of war for Israel. Israel was at war. Just like we Christians have wars today with the enemy of our souls, but in, in this ancient war, the enemy was easy to spot. Exodus 17 tells us the, the Amalekites were, were on attack. And according to Deuteronomy 25, 17, and 18, Amalek attacked Israel from behind. They attacked the weak. They attacked the stragglers. They attacked the faint. And you know, that's what the enemy does. You know, the enemy watches and he stands back and he waits to see if you get to lagging behind where you ought to be. He waits to see if you're getting tired, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're getting weary in your journey, if, if the battle is wearing you down and he's following along and he's trying to look, trying to find. Word of God says the enemy comes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Is the enemy going to be able to devour you because you're lagging behind where you need to be? But the enemy came and he, he was attacking the weak, the stragglers and the faint. And Joshua was, was in the middle of the battle with Moses standing up on the hill. Holding the staff of God in his hands. As long as his hands were raised, Joshua and the children of Israel won the battle. But when he got tired and those hands began to come down. Then the Amalekites began to start winning. You ever tried to raise your hands up over your head for a period of time? Just try and hold your hands up. You know, after a while they get tired. Your shoulders start cramping. Everything starts hurting. Your back hurts. Your legs hurt. Your feet hurt. Your toes hurt. Your toenails ache. I remember being in boot camp and 
If you didn't do things exactly right during close order drill, every once in a while, the, uh, the drill instructor would get you to take your M16 and get it to port arms. So you're standing there and you're holding your rifle like this. And then he says, now drop your left hand. And you better not let that rifle move. So you're sitting here with this hand here on, on around the butt of this stock with this rifle at, at a 45 degree angle across your face and you better not let it move. That seven pound rifle gets to weighing about 100 pounds in about two minutes. But just imagine, Moses is standing there and he's holding his hand above his head. He's holding, holding the staff up. And, and as long as he's holding it up, they're winning. But his muscles got tired. Moses wasn't a young man. His arms would droop. The enemy would come in, he would try and attack, and whenever Moses would lower his hands from fatigue, Joshua started losing immediately. As long as his hands were upraised, the Israelites prevailed, not because they saw it and took it as direction that they were winning, but because they had the favor of God. God gave them strength, God gave them vigor, God gave them courage while Moses interceded. And you might be in the trenches fighting a battle today. While our pastors are spending time in prayer and studying. You know, a lot of people look at pastors and their time in study and prayer is like, is that all they got to do? If you've never pastored, you don't know how much work there is. But a lot of people think it's just an easy thing, you know. That's an easy life. But listen, your victory or defeat may depend on the time that your pastors get to spend in prayer and in study. The time that they spend in laying before the Lord and crying out to God on your behalf. You know, a lot of churches are in defeat today because the pastor is busy with everything else. They don't have time to pray and study and seek the face of God like they ought to. Ezekiel 22 and 30 says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Thank God we have pastors that stand in the gap for us, that pray and cry out and, and seek the face of God for us and, and look into the Word of God to build a wall around us. A wall of protection, a wall of safety, so that we can be protected for the enemy. You know, how many times did Moses literally stand between Israel and judgment? How many times did Moses stand as their leader between victory and defeat because he would intercede and he would go before the presence of God on, on, the, on their behalf? Moses at times was willing to give up his life so that they wouldn't be destroyed. Amen. Romans eight twenty six and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit 
also helps our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now this is talking about the Holy Ghost praying out of you because you don't know what you're praying for, what you need, and and what's going on. But you don't realize that a lot of times the Holy Ghost wakes your pastor up and says, Hey, Pastorette, you need to pray. And Pastor Ed will get up and she'll walk the floor and she'll pray and she'll seek the face of God for you. We don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm a lot of times, but God opens it up to our pastors and leads them and directs them in the ways that we need to go. So when they speak to us, when they tell us things, we need to listen. We need to know that they have our best interest at heart. And they're praying for us. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? God's looking for somebody who will make intercession. So here they are. They're, they're in the heat of the battle. And, and, and it says that Moses said that he would take Aaron and her up on the hill with him. And it didn't take long for his disciples, Aaron and her, to see what was happening. And so they stepped in. They saw Moses was getting tired. And when he would get tired and those arms would come down, then Israel was losing the battle. And they, we got to do something. So they took Moses and they set him down on a rock. They established their leader on a rock. They put him there and and they let him rest on that rock. You know, sometimes we got to just rest on Jesus. There's places where we get, we, we we don't know what we're doing and... And sometimes we just got to back up. We got to sit down. We got to rest in Jesus. Okay, God, you, you've got this. Uh, you've got to figure it out. I, I can't do anything else. But they took, him and took Moses and they set him down. And then they stepped in, one on each side of their shepherd, their leader. And they held his hands up so the battle could be won. Without them, there would have been disaster engulfing the Israelite family that day. The enemy would have been able to, to defeat them, to plunder, to enslave them if they hadn't have stepped in. But because two men came alongside their leader to help him with his God-giving task, victory was secured and defeat was wiped out where it seemed to be inevitable. But you notice that Aaron and her, they didn't tie Moses' hands. They didn't handcuff him. They didn't tie him down. But they, they set him down on that rock where he could rest, and they held up his hands. They did the work for him to, to be able to, to do what he needed to do. They might not have agreed with him on some things. You might not agree with your pastors on things sometimes. Doesn't matter if you do or not. 
that's still your pastor's. But they realized that they could get the victory if they held Moses' hands up. And our situation today isn't much different. The enemies at the door, the members of our congregation, our pastors, our shepherds have a role to play in helping people win their battles. They don't physically fight the battles for you. But they play a key role in keeping the enemy away from your door. And helping you be victorious. But the thing that is, just like Moses, they can't do the job alone. It takes other people to come alongside of them. You know, it doesn't matter how skilled Aaron and her might have been. Doesn't matter how good they were at what they did. What they needed to do in the situation didn't take a lot of brains, a lot of training. All it took was their availability to be used to hold up the hands of their leader. And God hadn't changed his method of operation. You know, today he allows each of us to be a part of winning battles. All the battles that the body of Christ faces, he gives us all an opportunity to be able to, to take part in that. Might not be on the front line like Joshua and his soldiers were. You know, they were down in the heat of the battle and they were fighting and they were swinging swords and and going through and trying to kill the enemy. It might not be that. It might not be up on the hill holding up the, the rod to God like Moses was. Might be in that little thing. Might be in that just holding up the hand of the man of God holding up the hand of the woman of God. John and Sylvia Ronsfell wrote about it several years ago. It says, for the contemporary church, the mandate is for lay leaders to help pastors by coming alongside them and their families to facilitate their time, their finances, and their lives. Like Moses, they need someone to hold up their hands in battle and to perform lesser duties so they can give themselves to eternal kingdom concerns. Ministers need someone to free them from minutia so they can do what God called them to do. Ministers need someone to befriend them, to care for them, and to lovingly keep them accountable for essentials. One very important of holding up the hands of a pastor is to pray regularly and strategically for them. To lift your pastor's arms, to encourage their heart, to, and you've got to be ready to assist. Be available. You want to help your pastors? You want to encourage your pastors? Be available. Have you ever noticed that when a war or a battle is won, the soldiers get the credit for it? They're the ones who are in the trenches. But in order for them to win, 
Somebody had to build the weapons that they used. Somebody had to build the vehicles that they ride in. Somebody had to sew the clothes that they wear. And, and while the soldiers fought and won the battle, a lot of others served in support behind the scenes. A lot of people stayed behind and were there and, and, and helping out. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4 in the NIV says this, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So the disciples, they had been doing everything. They had been taking care of everything. They had been uh, ministering in the Word and ministering to people and, and feeding the widows and waiting on tables and making sure everybody was fed and, and just doing everything. And it got to the place where, you know, they said here, it's not right for us to neglect the Word and prayer doing these things. Let's find somebody to do it. Let's find somebody who's willing to be available. Seek out some people who are full of the Spirit, who are full of wisdom. Let them take care of these things. You know, for a lot of years, the church followed that pattern. But here we are in the 21st century. And now it's all about well, what can you do for me? The emphasis is on self and what makes me feel good and what makes me able to get whatever I can get. And the pastor is once again overburdened and doing too much. In a lot of churches, the pastor isn't anymore uh, viewed as the shepherd that exists to mobilize and to lead and to teach the people how to be what God has called them to be. A lot of churches, pastors just consider an employee. There's a board that run the church and, and, and they tell the pastor what to do and what to preach and how to do and He's just an employee hired by the church to fulfill everybody's needs and everybody's desires. And There's a researcher by the name of George Barna, and he's done research for years, and he's interviewed hundreds of pastors and lay people. He wrote in, looking at the American lady, laity, the American church, He concluded this, but the pastor is not simply reflecting a lack of faith when he voices concern that people are giving less of themselves to the church than they used to. Research has borne out that volunteerism within the church is on a decline.
And you see that in churches all across the country. You try and get somebody to volunteer to do something, you call a work day and see how many people show up. You've got a core few that will show up all the time. You've got some that will show up if you say you're going to feed them. You've got some that ain't going to show up if you threaten to shoot them. But we need to encourage our pastors. We need to show, when we have a work day, we need to show up and be willing and ready to work and be able to get the, the job done. There's an old saying, many hands make light work. If we all work together. Remember when my kids were little, they used to sing a song in Sunday school. If we all pull together... Pull together, pull together. If we all pull together, what a meeting we'll have. For your work is my work and our work is God's work. If we all pull together, what a meeting we'll have. We all need to pull together. Amen. We all need to work together. So, you know, there we have it. The pastor's overburdened, the laity not responding, they're under challenge, and the results distress everybody. The goal that the apostle wrote for the church, pastor and flock. Philippians 1.27, stand firm in the spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. We all need to work together. It's what pastors around the world are looking for. They're looking for somebody who will come in and, and, and be a, a volunteer, be ready and willing and able, be, be there. So I got to ask you this morning. Are you willing to come alongside and lift tired hands? Are you willing to come alongside and help out? When we have a work day, are you willing to show up? When the struggle is getting great, are, are you willing to get in your prayer closet and cry out for the souls that God would send to this place to be saved? We've got to get a hunger for souls. We've got to get a hunger for things to change in people's lives. It can't all be on our pastor's shoulders, but we have to come in alongside and lift the burden and, and, and pray and seek the face of God. Encourage our pastors. Just every once in a while, come up, hey, is there anything that I can do? Can I do something to help out? Anything you need me to do so that you can take care of the things that you need to take care of. Hallelujah. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today, Lord God, for this opportunity that you've given us, Lord. God, just to enter into your house, Lord God, to come together with your people, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, 
that you give us the opportunity to come in, Lord God. Father, lift up tired hands, Lord God. Father, let us be an encouragement to our pastors. Lord, we just honor you today, God. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. We just glorify your name for all that you've done in this place. Ask you, Father, that you just let us, Lord, be faithful to you, Lord. Seek your face, Lord God, in all that we do, God. We just honor you, God. We thank you, Lord, for moving in us. Help us, Father, to be encouragers, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I thank you, Lord God, for small examples, Lord God. Father, help us, Lord, to be bucket fillers and not bucket dippers, Lord. God, let us fill, Lord God, and encourage, Lord God, and not drain, Lord. We just praise you, God. We give you glory and thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.